Amen. Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, please open to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing our study through the Sermon on the Mount. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Um, before I read the text, the, the, the section that's upcoming deals with this, the, the subject matter of prayer. And um, as I've sort of considered how to handle this today, I've, instead of sort of covering a, a larger section quickly, um, I've decided to sort of slow down this section so that we're going to cover the subject of prayer uh, within the Sermon on the Mount over the course of the next three weeks. Um, today, we're just going to look at four verses, but when I read, I'm going to read the, the entire context so that we can sort of see it uh, in perspective. Um, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, uh, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we can uh, gather here, Lord, freely without fear of persecution or violence against us. Um, we just thank you, Lord, for this great uh, privilege that we have that not many in the world have. And, and so, Lord, we do not take this lightly. And Father, we come before you as we study your word. Uh, Lord, as we look at this great sermon on the Sermon on the Mount and we examine prayer, Lord, we ask that your, uh, your spirit would guide us as we study this passage of scripture. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not just understand what the text says, Lord, but that it, deep within our hearts, we would have a greater understanding of who you are, uh, what you desire from us, what you've enabled us to do. And Lord, that we would uh, just be encouraged, Lord, that we would learn how to pray, that we would desire to speak to you, uh, Lord, that we would grow in our relationship with you. And so, Lord, we come before you, we ask you for help as we work through this section of Scripture, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others... For their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face 
so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And Father, we do um, thank you for this passage. Lord, we ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we enter into this section dealing with prayer, um, I've known that I was going to teach on this for the last couple of weeks uh, because Ben preached last week. I sort of knew what my section was. And, and I've just been sort of going through life noticing how prayer comes up. And really, prayer comes up a lot. I, um, I don't think it's just me. You know, we, to speak about Jesus is, could be terribly offensive in some circles, but I've, like, even atheists, I say, hey, can I pray for you? They're like, oh, man, I'd love to, for you to pray for me. And, and, and prayer is one of these things that isn't seem to be offensive. People don't seem to mind um, when prayers are offered. But I've just sort of been noticing, like, how does prayer surface? I, I, I hear people say, can you pray for me? And I say, oh, sure, I'll be praying for you. But then I wonder, do I even pray for them? Like I said I would, or... Or you ask for prayer, and people say, oh, yeah, I'll be praying for you. It's like, I wonder if they're even really praying. Um, for meals, how do we pray for our meals? This has been terribly convicting with kids as we've sort of let our kids pray for meals. And, and uh, how, do, how do we handle this subject of prayer? Um, prayer is something that it can be a little bit intimidating, um, I remember when I was very early in my Christian life, I think I became a Christian around 96. I was very slow developmentally in my Christian walk. Um, and it was either in 2000 or 2001. The, the details of the story are very clear in my memory, but the name of the person I can't re- remember to save my life. But he was a, a good friend of mine, and he wasn't a Christian. I happened to be in town, and... Uh, a group of my friends had gone out to the desert. And Sunday morning when I'd woken up, I'd heard from one of my good friends that this guy, who I can't remember his name to save my life, um, I'd heard that he was out at Glamis and he was on his motorcycle and basically he was T-boned by a sand rail and they had to life flight him to the hospital that was in La Jolla. And I remember going to church that morning, sort of getting word from my friend about what had happened. And I had this deep conviction that I was supposed to go to the hospital and pray for my friend. And it it seems silly now, but you have to, back then I was like a brand new kind of Christian. I wasn't a pastor. I was a Navy SEAL. And I was overwhelmed with this feeling, go to the hospital and actually pray with him. Don't say you're going to pray for him. You pray with him. So I remember at the end of church that day, I gathered all of the pastors that I knew. And I said, guys, I need you to, I need prayer. And they're like, well, what's going on, Gunnar? I said, oh, my friend was just T-boned. He was lifelight. And they're like, oh, we'll pray for him. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want prayer for him. I mean, well, you guys can pray for him. But I need prayer because God's telling me to go pray for him. And this is terrifying. I need, I need you guys to pray for me so that I would know how to, so that I could pray. And they kind of giggled and they prayed for my friend. And then they laid hands on me and they prayed for me that I would be able to pray. And I got in my car, white knuckled, and I drove to the hospital and I got there, and my friend was in a coma, and the door was shut. And I remember thinking, praise the Lord. I, don't have, I, I can't access him. He's in a coma. I don't have to pray with him. This is so much easier. I mean, it was kind of funny. But I'm just telling you how, how my thought process back then. And, 
And so I'm like, I'm out of it. Like, I don't have to pray. Like, I can just pray for him. I'm like, God, I like listened, I obeyed, but you're just bluffing. This is awesome. You were... And then I turn around from the room and there was his mom and a group of family members. And God, I just felt like, Gunner, you need to pray for this group right now. And I was like, oh man. I said, okay, everybody, let's hold hands. And I led them in this prayer and I, I have no idea what I prayed but it was terribly just overwhelming, intimidating. Um, like I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know how you guys are, but I certainly don't feel at times competent to pray, let, less, let alone teach on, on prayer. Um, ben and I, I kind of, somewhere during the week, I sort of texted Ben, I'm like, I don't really feel qualified or competent to teach on the subject of prayer. Like this is, like there are some people who are, Prayer warriors that are just gifted. And I mean, we're all called to pray, but there are some people who, like when they say they're praying for me, I know that they're praying for me. Uh, our, our son Gideon, his middle name is George, who was the pastor here. He's passed on, but George died last summer. But when I would talk to George, George, every time I pray for you every day. And I, and I know without a doubt, he was praying for me every single day. And I, I remember texting Ben, I'm like, you know, so-and-so is a prayer warrior. I feel like I should have her come teach this subject. But don't let, I'm talking to myself now, don't let my, uh, there's a lesson here. Um, I'm encouraged as you go through the scriptures, there's a couple uh, stories that talk about prayer. Uh, in Matthew, uh, um, Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. There's a similar story found over in Luke chapter 11. I'm not going to go there. Next week, I'll, I'll reference it more. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, these are two stories, but, but they're really, they're, they're two stories. Some people think that they're the same story that's retold, but it's really not the case. I really believe that these are two distinct stories and that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in, an, in a number of different ways, a number of different times, I should say, and the Lord's Prayer surfaced. And over there in the first verse, I love what it says. It says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And so in that story, we see the disciples, they observe Jesus and see Jesus praying. When he's finished praying, they're like, Lord, we need help. We don't know how to pray. John the Baptist, he teaches his disciples how to pray. Would you teach us? how to pray. And I'm so encouraged by this because these are the apostles. These are the disciples that, that Jesus hand selected in human history uh, to, to lead the early church. And they're saying, Lord, we don't feel confident in praying. Would you teach us? So it's okay. It's okay for us not to feel like we have prayer mastered. But Jesus wants us to grow in our communication, our talking with him. Uh, Paul in Romans 8.28 says this, which is another encouraging verse on prayer. He says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. And it goes on and says, well, as we pray, you could be off in your prayer, but the Spirit's going to take what you said and sort of interpret. I don't know how that works out. All I know is that the Scriptures give me hope that when I pray, even if I'm off, God understands and he will take my prayers and make them right. I really, my, my, and I don't use the term prayer lightly this time, I really have been praying 
that we as a, as a church, as a, as a body of believers, that over the next few weeks as we study the subject of prayer, uh, just to kind of be sensitive in your ears, in your heart, in your mind, how do you use prayer? How do you hear prayer around you? Uh, do you take it lightly? I just, just be sensitive uh, to how prayer is used in your life. And ultimately, as we study God's word, that our prayer life would, uh, would change, that we would grow, that we would mature, that we would uh, reflect in our hearts and our prayer life, that we would pray as God desires us to pray. And so as we look at this passage, the very first four verses, the, the first thing that jumps out at me is this phrase, when you are praying... Now, let's back up a little bit. In the text, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, which starts in chapter 5, goes all the way through chapter 7. Chapter 5, in essence, Jesus is laying out the framework of the law, the scriptures, uh, the correct interpretation and application of the scriptures, showing them uh, and us our need for God's righteousness, that we are inadequate of our own accord. Uh, those during that time had taken God's law and they had sort of taught it and manipulated it in a way, uh, structured it, I should say, in a way that they could fulfill it. And, and Jesus goes and he shows that the law really is to cut us off at the knees to show us that we're totally and completely dependent upon God. And as we started verse 1 of chapter 6 last week, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then all through chapter 6, we see, but when you fill in the blank. Last week, it was when you give to the poor. The assumption is, is that followers of Christ, they will have generous hearts and that they will give to those who are in need. Now, next week's, but the next three weeks, we deal with, but when you pray. That the assumption is that the follower of Christ will be praying, that we will communicate with God. Then he's going to touch on money again. And so here he says, but when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. So in verses five and six, there's an example of what we're not to be like. And then sort of a correct teaching of how we're to handle prayer. In verses seven through eight, there's another bad example of how not to pray. And then he's going to teach on how we should pray. And so this do not be like the hypocrites. What are the hypocrites? Most hold that this is the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, that there's this, uh, the view that they are very religious, that they are at the very highest peak of closeness to God. And Jesus has sort of dismantled their superficial relationship with God. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's, there's an election coming up. And uh, on prayer and on this verse, one thing that I've noticed, and this isn't like a political, like I'm not at all like getting into politics. I'm just pointing out that all politicians, the thing that sort of cracks me up is when they make their speeches and then their spouse comes up on stage. And I don't know if you guys have noticed the interaction between politicians and their spouses. It's kind of funny to me because they're like glowing and super affectionate and just like everything's wonderful and and there's some politicians that the news kind of sheds light on their personal lives and 
what they are on stage might be a little bit different behind the scenes. I don't want to mischaracterize any of them. But as I've been studying this, I've been sort of getting this picture that there are those, the hypocrites, which meant actor or actress, that there was this sort of performance amongst men that they would look and characterize themselves in their relationship with God like a politician's spouse would do. But then when you go behind closed doors, it might not necessarily be the same thing on stage. Um, Hypocrite wasn't necessarily even a bad word. This is just, it was their terminology for an actor or actress. This week we had the opportunity to go visit. um, Long story, I have a mutual, a friend of a friend. He's in Colorado. He wanted to talk about something, but it turns out his brother is the, the lead editor for Focus on the Family. And with Adventures in Odyssey. And when I heard Adventures in Odyssey, I'm like, oh man, my wife, since she was a little kid, has listened to Adventures in Odyssey. And our family, whenever we take road trips, we're, we're, we're like diehard fanatics for Adventures in Odyssey. It's a great little program. And like a radio drama for kids and adults, I think. And so he said, hey, we're doing a recording in North Hollywood. You, you, if you, would you like to go? I'm like, would we like to go? We would love to go. You just tell us when. And if we could meet Connie Kendall, that's who the one we want to see. So he said, okay, go Wednesday, North Hollywood, 3 to 6 p.m. You can be in there for the recording studio. And so they don't allow people in. We're just at the recording studio. And then there's like the director behind us. And we're sitting in the chairs right in front of the director, staring at the people. And then they don't look like what you think they look like. I, uh, I don't want to get distracted here. I want to stay focused. But so then there's Connie Kendall. Connie's been Connie Kendall for... Uh, 30 years. And then when she was done recording, she stepped out, she introduced the kids, and Grace was like, you're Connie Kendall. You sound just like Connie Kendall. And then we keep talking to her, and we keep referring to her as Connie. Do you know that her name's not Connie? Her name is Katie. But to us, the way she sounded, the way she acted, she was Connie. And that's a hypocrite, is that she's such a good actress that we lose who she is as a character. Like her character becomes who she is. But that's not really who she is. Her family that knows her, she's Katie. And she plays this person. And this is sort of what Jesus is getting. And all these religious guys, the scribes and the Pharisees, they put this big show on. But they're hypocrites. What they are, their public persona, is not who they are behind closed doors. And he's going to continue. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And he's going to explain what the issue is. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. So, so right away, we have a big cultural difference. Um, in our culture, y- you want to go pray in the corner? You're not going to be revered by men. You might get an egg or a tomato on you. If you're, like if we just go down to the corner and say, I'm praying for my neighborhood. And everybody that comes by it's not going to be received like like then it was like oh you guys are are the special prayers i think of ben when he shared about coming back from romania when they when the church in romania said that they want to the, the evangelical churches they went out and said they wanted to pray people were like well i'd love to pray but i can't afford it and like no 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 we're just praying for you this is the diff like for them to be in the synagogue to pray up publicly to stand on the corner and pray there would be accolades that would come their way. They would, they would revere them. They would think that they were uh, holy and close to God. And, 
There was something special, and that was their, that was their driving force. And so Jesus says, don't, don't be like them. Their whole purpose in praying publicly, in praying amongst people, is to get recognition from men. And he said, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. This is the same phrase that we saw from last week and throughout this. That their driving force for their spirituality is not to please God, but it's to please and to get the praise of men. And so he says, don't be like them. And then he goes on and he says in verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what, I done, what is done in secret will reward you. I am. Um, I want to be careful not to just so go off in the opposite, explaining what this isn't saying. I, I think that there is value for having a place where you can go and focus and not not be distracted, and that you can just focus and and, and pray to God. Some of you, it might literally be in your closet to get away, or the bathroom, so the kids aren't barging in on you, or the shower, or maybe it's on a hike or somewhere or run. I, I tend to have my best prayer times when I'm running or doing something physical where I have no connection to the outside world through my cell phone or computer or distractions. And I can pray and I can listen. I, I think that this is what he's saying. He's not, or I hope he's not, but I, I really, like, did I violate this already? Because I've already prayed publicly in front of all of you. Is this forbidding public prayer? And I don't think that, that it, it, it's the case at all. I think his, his point is, is that God is personal. He is the creator. He is distinct from his creation. We are the created. But in his vastness and in our smallness, like think about it. There's that email that went around comparing the planets and it goes through like the various planets and then it goes to various stars. And then by the time you get to like the Artaxerxes or whatever that big, huge star is. And then it says, the human earth isn't even visible at this point. And then we are like on the, the planet earth that's not even visible in comparison to the biggest stars. We're like not even, ants would be like giants. Like we're nothing. And the scripture tells us that the, 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 the God who spoke all of this into existence desires that we communicate with him but often when we get in a situation where we're asked to pray we're more concerned with the people that are in our presence and with the god that we're praying to and maybe we're not even praying i remember when i was a new christian early on i i had come out of the closet like it was like i am a christian now hear me squeak and and my dad who's catholic began to like really harass me in certain areas. But I don't think it had to do with his Catholicism and my Christianity. It just had to do with my dad is like harasses people and me. And, and I remember one time he said, you know what I've noticed about Protestants? They always use the word just in their prayers. And so I was like, hmm. And then I noticed that suddenly my dad, who never really prayed all the time growing up, suddenly was like every time there was an opportunity to pray, hey, Gunnar, will you pray for us? Will you pray for the meal? Will you do this? And it was just to like catch me saying just. 
And so then when I would pray with my dad, it was not a prayer. It was, dear Lord, I jump rope the other day and I really asked that you would help. Like the whole prayer was for my dad to make a point that not all Protestants use the word just in their prayers because I'm a Protestant and I will not use the word just. And I think to this day, I don't even use the word just. But I'm caring more about him than I, the, the God I'm supposedly praying to. This Friday, we, I got together with two buddies of mine from high school. They're like my, the two of my longest friends. We go way, way, way back. And I'm a Christian. My one friend's a Christian. And then the other one is not at all a Christian. And so we're at the burger joint doing the sort of, how, like the food's coming. How are we going to negotiate the, like, how do you start mealtime? Well, I sort of in my heart, I'm like, okay, like I'm the pastor. I'm not going to like make a big deal. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to make a big deal about praying. I'm going to, I'm totally cool like reading this. I'm going to, with my eyes open, give thanks to God, thank him for the food in my heart, and I'll just start eating. I'll be fine with it. I'm not going to make a big spectacle. I'm not going to project this on my non-believing friend. So we all get our food. The burgers are there. The fries are there. It's that sort of like, (laughs) kind of like, I kind of like took a French fry, started dipping it. Like, how are we going to handle this? <laughs> and then my buddy, who's a believer but is not the pastor, says, hey, Gunnar's a professional. He's a pastor. Why don't we have the reverend pray for our meal? It's like, thanks, jerk, you know. <laughs> like, and then I'm like preaching on this. So it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to make this prayer. I'm not going to, I have to guard my heart from rewiring my prayer so that I'm speaking in a way that my non-believing friend, I'm like, I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to focus on God. I'm not going to worry about these two guys that are here and I'm going to give thanks for the food. And I kind of think that that's the issue that Jesus is dealing about. He's saying, when you pray, don't worry about the people that are around you. You worry about this creator that, that spoke creation into existence that he desires to communicate with you. And he tells us over and over and over again that there's this, that he wants to communicate with us, both to speak to us and for us to speak to him. And I think that this is the issue here. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this whole issue, reward you, reward you. Like, what, what, what is this all about? Remember, we go back up to verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So as Jesus in this section is teaching about practicing your righteousness, which isn't even your own righteousness. It's any righteousness we have. It's of Christ that's imputed it or credited to us. As we walk with him, he's saying that the blessing, we don't want our blessing to come from men. We want our blessing to come from God. And now Here in prayer, Jesus says, when you go and you pray and you're quiet and you're focused on God and your Father who is in heaven, who knows you, and as you're communicating with him, 
he will reward you. And I've been sort of stuck on this. Like, what, what does this mean? And First Peter 3.12 sort of keeps surfacing. If you want to go there, you can, or you can just listen. But First Peter 3.12 says, And his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This, uh, that verse kept coming to my mind this week through, through a variety of ways. And in that, when Peter says, it's sort of like, as prayers are offered up to God from humanity, not all prayers are received equally by God. And here he talks about the righteous and the unrighteous. The right, the righteous, the Lord's going to attend to their prayers. So the unrighteous, he's, he's against those who do evil. And if we back up to the greater context of what Peter's saying, we're going to see that the part I just read to you is a quote from the Old Testament that he's using to validate what he's saying. So going back to verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Sounds very much like the Sermon on the Mount to me. But give a blessing instead, for you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For, now he's going to the Old Testament to support what he just said. For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, the, the best that I have come to in understanding what does it mean in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The, the best that I've come to understand this in looking at the whole Sermon on the Mount is that the person who is walking with Jesus, who's submitted to him, who's longing for his righteousness, who is... Uh, praying to him in private is communicating with him and developing their relationship. I think this reward is that we're in a position to communicate with the creator and sustainer of the universe. There's, there, there really is nothing more awesome and intimate. To think about this. When we pray, we are speaking to the creator of the entire universe, the one who spoke it into existence. Like, this is amazing. This is overwhelming if you consider this. And so often we turn prayer into a display of like, oh, man, what does Joe think about me when I'm saying this? But this is a great, great, overwhelming thing that when we pray, we are speaking to him and he hears us and he responds to us. And so these first two verses, I think that God or Jesus, he's making this point that the Father wants us to communicate with him, that he desires that it's him that we're communicating with. Focus on him exclusively. And then as we go to verse 7, there's a shift. So the first part, he's dealing with hypocrites, the scribes and the Pharisees. And now he's shifting to the Gentiles, a non-Jewish crowd. And he says, and when you are praying again, this this reminder 
that it's expected, that there's an assumption that the follower of Christ will be communicating with their creator. This is beautiful. That Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that we're to pray without ceasing. So it's not exclusive to the, to the private prayer closet, but that as we go through our lives that we have this file open in the back of our brain that we're communicating with God. And as I'm talking to you all, there's this file. Lord, help me not to screw up. And when I screw up and say something wrong or unclearly, Lord, may your spirit sort of protect them from, Lord, help, that you can be praying and doing other things simultaneously is my point. And this is beautiful. And he says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. This... Um, so we're shifting to Gentiles. I think some translations use the word pagans. It's all would be this is outside of the Jewish body of people that Jesus is addressing. And, and this word, this meaningless repetition, is a fascinating word in the Greek. It's not used very often. If I my, if my memory serves me correct, it's it's literally this is the only place in the New Testament this word is used, and it literally means stammering words. Um, so some translations would use this as, as an idea of uh, uh, babbling or, um, I'm, of course, blanking on the word, but, but, but uh, basically a, an endless stream of meaningless words. Chanting is the word I was looking for. It reminds me of when I went to Mongolia. When I was in Mongolia, one of the places we went was to this temple. And, and I felt really out of place because it was pretty clear that we were all Americans and we were not Mongolians. And we were following Josh's lead and we walked into this temple and the first thing we saw was like these, I'm not even quite clear what it was, but you, you obviously left some money and there were like these bit, it was almost like a lottery type thing where you could put, you could insert a, a scrap of paper and the things would spin around and you would spin it and then hopefully um, if you put the right amount of money in and another stuff, then your prayer would be heard and then you could walk even further and I could hear this sort of this this chanting, this rumbling, this, this, it was a noise unlike anything I'd ever heard before in my life. And as we got closer, you could look into the room and it said no cameras. There, there was a place to leave money again. And as you looked in, there were a group of like three or four guys sitting on the floor. This chant, it was just create this sound. My heart was so heavy. Of course, it said no recording. So I'm there with my jacket kind of with the camera and my thing like, Hey, Josh, what's going on? Trying to like record to hear the sound. And these guys are like chanting. I don't even know if it was language. I don't think it was language they were using, but it was like this hours and hours and hours of chanting all day long, hopefully to crack the code to the gods that they would hear their prayers. And this is sort of the image that I get when Jesus says, do not use meaningless reputation, repetition. I think of my childhood and praying the rosary. Those who are raised Catholic and prayed the rosary, it's like one of those things that I'm not going to do it here, but, but, but you can just zip through that little bead and all the, the same prayer over and over again that there's no real thought behind what you're saying. Normally it's a punishment to pray this many times, to go through it. I, I want to be real, like I'm not at all like, 
There are some problems with the, the rosary, of, like I, I believe. Um, there are other things. I have dear brothers that are um, more in charismatic circles. I've, I've, and so I want to be very delicate. I want to be very sensitive here. But, but as I've been reading this and thinking about my dear friends who, who have uh, spoken or prayed in tongues, and as I've talked to them about their experience, and I, I, I can't help but to see this, that, that what Jesus is saying here is he wants you to speak clearly to him. Look what it says. Like, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door. No, I'm sorry, wrong verse, seven. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless reputation, reputa- repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard in their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you might need before you ask him. Back in the Navy, when I was in the teams, I had two responsibilities. One of them was to to care for all of the diving equipment, anything underwater that was sort of my job. And the other one was I was a communicator. So um, I would have the big radio. I would talk to the airplanes. I would call in bombs. I would do anything dealing with forward air control. And in our training, there was always like, hey, if I get shot and I'm killed, you might need to pick up this radio and call for help. And one of the things that I always had to ingrain into people is, you know, pilots have their own little language that I can speak and I can communicate and understand them. But if you're in a desperate situation, remember they speak English. So you can just grab the radio and you can just speak to them plainly. Law enforcement has their own radio, their own language. And as a chaplain, I when I talk with other chaplains, hey guys, if you're on a ride along and you have your radio and your officer... Something happens, he gets in a big fight or, or shot or something, and you need help? Don't worry about going, uh, this is Charlie Zulu, I need 11.99, I need, like, uh, just speak English. <laughs> this is a chaplain, I'm on this street and this street, and the officer is really bad. We need help here now. And I think that this is what Jesus is saying. I can't tell you how many, like, it's, you know, I have a bunch of surfer buddies that they become Christians. And when I speak to them, I'll be like, dude, man, the surf is great. It's really awesome, man. It was like pounding, blah, blah, blah. And it's like time for prayer. And it's like, oh, Holy Father, thou speak to us to ye. And, and they go to King James language. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, where did this King James come from? Well, I don't know. It's just more spiritual, man. Like, it's, it's like, no, no, no. Like, God wants us to communicate with him. There, there's nothing more beautiful to me than a person who comes to Christ, is a brand new Christian. They haven't been contaminated by Christian culture and, and wanting to be like the mature Christians. And you pray with them. It's like, dude, God, I um, you're awesome. And there might be an F-bomb in there somewhere. Like they, and it's like, I, th- I think he just swore. Like, that's okay. Like uh, Romans eight twenty six. Although we don't know how to pray, the Spirit. Like God wants us to communicate. There's not some special code. He, he knows what you need. He knows your heart. He just wants us to, to speak to Him. And and on this repetition, like I don't think that this. There's a difference between a repetitious sort of prayer that's like mindless and you don't know what you're praying. 
There's also repetition that, that, that is powerful. Sometimes I think the most powerful prayers are those that are very few words. Anna and I, as we've, I don't want to look at her because I don't want to get choked up, but as we were talking about this passage this week and she, with tears in her eyes, said, oh, I just remember the night that Titus was born and we almost lost, we almost lost Titus and, and Anna. Like the surgeon said three to four minutes, like it would have been a different story. And she said, I just remember during that whole thing, praying, Lord, just save the baby. Lord, just save the baby. I was praying, Lord, save the baby and my wife. She wasn't thinking about herself at the time. She was just like over and over again for hours. Lord, save the baby. Lord, save the baby. Lord, save the baby. Do you think that's what Jesus is saying not to do? Not at all. Sometimes the only prayer we know how to pray is, Lord, help, help, help. And if that's all you can pray, pray it. Jesus isn't asking you to speak in the King James Version to him, asking you to use proper theological terms that you might be able to part the way to get a hold of him. He says, I am here. Your father who knows what you need before you ask him, speak to him. It's beautiful. It's overwhelming when we consider what prayer really is, that through Christ, we have this access to the Father. My, my prayer is that we as a church, and we have a bulletin, and I'm, I'm totally guilty of it, you know, like in the bulletin. Look at that. Melanie even screens my bulletin. You did, didn't you? She gave me one without a little white prayer communication card. Because when we normally do, she goes, like, you're just going to chuck it, so I'm not going to give it to you. I just busted myself. But on the bottom of that communication card, there's a little thing for like prayer request. No, no, it's good. I, I was making my own point. No, because I would have just thrown it away later. That's, I'm, this is on me, not on you. It, it totally exposes. We see those little white pieces of paper and we just... The church isn't a place where we come and we put on our like Sunday best and act like everything's okay. This is a place where we come to help one another. I need prayer. I need help. And maybe you just pass it through, but write your prayer request down. The prayer request will make it to the e-news. We'll make it to this group on Wednesdays. With we'll pray that we should be praying. I can't tell you how convicted I am that years ago, I think Ben and I have had this talk where we both at different times in our life have reached the conviction of like, somebody said, oh, I need prayer. So I'll, be, I'll, pray, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> and that will be never happened. And then one day when I, like, so now when people ask for prayer, a lot of times what I'll say was, let me pray for you right now. And if I think of you later, I'll be praying then. But let me pray for you right now. And so I'd encourage you, like if you're here and you need prayer, tell somebody, if some, like say, I need prayer for this. And if somebody says that to you, I encourage you, let me pray for you right now. And, and don't worry about the words that you say. Don't worry about impressing the person that you're praying for. You're speaking to your Father in heaven and he knows. Somebody, Lord, I don't, this is a tough situation. I don't even know how to pray, could you, but could you help this person? Could you help us to come around the person? H- how do you handle mealtime? Totally convicted. Okay, kids, let's pray. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. 
Uh, we don't actually do that, but there's been times when it's like where the prayer time with the kids has got a little out of control. It's like, okay, time out, guys. Time out, time out. We're talking to God. Like, let's really give thanks. Like, let's not just get into our routine of whatever your routine is. But that we would take prayer seriously, that we would, that we would utilize it, that we have our creator who wants to communicate with us. This passage, there's like three things that I've taken from this. Um, the, the first and foremost is that your relationship with Christ is of number one importance. In, in 1 Peter 3.12, we see that not all prayers are received the same. We're told in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus himself in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so the way that we, number one, communicate to the Father is by coming to Christ. And then once we have come to Christ, once we've trusted in him for salvation, in this part of um, the, the Sermon on the Mount dealing with prayer, I see two other, I see two main things. That as you pray, focus on your relationship with God, not to try to impress others. Um, in between services, Rick Restivo came up to me and he said, man, I'll never forget the first time I was, I was in church at a small little Baptist church. And the pastor one day, he prayed really, really long. Like it was like a 15-minute prayer. And I was standing next to the pastor at the end of the service and this little old lady like hobbled up to him and she said, Pastor, that prayer was horrible and it was too long. And he's like, I can't believe she was going off on the pastor. And then the pastor looked at her and held her hand. He's like, well, honey, I wasn't talking to you. And I'm like, oh, I would never say something like that. I would, I would, have, think, I would have thought two days later. But the story that Rick told was really true. We're praying. We're not speaking to each other. We're speaking to him, our father who knows us. And the second point on prayer that I see here is Jesus is encouraging us just to communicate with it, just to pour out your heart to him. How you would speak to, to, to your friend, to your, to your spouse, to your neighbor, use those words. Just communicate to God. He wants you to talk to him, not not stammering on with meaningless words or repetition. Just talk to him. And next week we're going to get into the actual the Lord's Prayer. And there's a beautiful guideline for how we can pray. And so, Father, we come before you and we, um, Lord, I just give you thanks, Father. I um, Just for what I and we are doing right now, that as we pray, you're listening. I thank you, Lord, from the Lord, the, the disciples' um, example. I thank you that they shared that they don't know how to pray. I thank you for Paul's encouragement that even though we don't know how to pray, the Spirit helps us. And so, Father, I thank you that you desire for us to communicate with you. I confess that, that often, Lord, I um, I don't. And I pray that for each of us, Lord, that you would just, Lord, you would encourage us, you would 
Um, Help us to grow in our relationship with you, that there would be a passion there. Lord, help us to, to pray without ceasing. Help us to come to know you through your word, that when we pray, we would pray accurately and according to your will. Um, Lord, help us that when we pray that we would be focused upon you and not worried about the people to our left or right. Guard us from ever praying in the sense of performance. In our culture, Lord, often praying doesn't come with praise. It comes with fear of maybe not persecution, but of harassment and teasing. And and so, Lord, I pray that uh, when we find ourselves in a situation to pray publicly or in a group of people, um, Lord, that you would help our minds and our hearts to be focused upon you, uh, that we think exclusively about you and that we are talking exclusively to you. Lord, help us in our weakness. We thank you, Lord, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.